Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We have three passages that I will put before you this morning that we might gain wisdom as they are juxtaposed with each other. If anyone is new this morning, we generally do not just preach through topics, but we have been in a series all year about living on earth as citizens of heaven. In the fall, we looked at the visions of Daniel and the kingdom of God that was coming to the earth that came in Christ. In the spring, we looked at 2 Peter, living on earth as citizens of heaven. And it just seemed the right time to deal directly with some of the issues we face. So, let's read these three passages. Proverbs 22, 6. Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in the the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight into this issue. For we all deal with it. We all have parents and have been raised. We, not are all, we are not all parents, but we all join in the church body to raise up the next generation. And we look at one another and we see, how are we doing? Give us a sense of your grace to us as ones who were once children of wrath, whom you have redeemed. And through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have adopted us as your children. And help us as a church uh, to grasp uh, insight into this issue of parenting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. These passages are for all of us. All of us. I know that when you put a a subject out there like parenting, it seems to be targeted at those uh, young parents who have young children, and it's going to be a how-to. This is what you should do so that you can raise up your children. It is a right desire uh, for us when we have our children to want to do a good job, to do what God would call us to, to do, to raise up our children. And we then can make a big mistake. We can think that parenting is primarily about training them in the way they should go, meaning a list of rules. And we forget that the way they should go is the way that we have been who, beginning with our last passage, we who once were children of wrath have by the grace of God been made his children. We can read the proverb, raise up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it as a promise. It's just a guarantee. If you raise up your child in the way he should go, 
then when he is old, he will not depart from it, which means when children grow up and they depart from faith, they depart from the Lord, church can become a problem. You come to church and you feel other parents are looking at you and say, what did you do wrong? What happened? And I realize in touching on this subject, I'm touching on the, uh, another third rail because there can be a lot of grief for parents. Ruth Bell Graham, who you, we think of Billy Graham and his family and you see Franklin Graham and his ministries now and we just think, well, what a privilege it would have been to grow up the son of Billy Graham. Well, read a little bit more about that. I remember knowing uh, someone who uh, was a missionary in Jordan, a contemporary of mine, um, who uh, knew Franklin Graham in his youth when he had just uh, was 22 years old, something like that. And uh, she was in, this missionary friend was in Jordan, and the Samaritan's Purse was already started, and uh, Franklin Graham was flying in supplies uh, to Jordan. And she was there at the airport when he was flying in, the plane was weaving around. And when he landed, he got out with this brown bag and something in it. And she knew that Franklin Graham was a prodigal son. It's common knowledge, and, and the Grahams and the ministries are trying to do their best to give him a, a way to serve, a place to serve, hoping that, it, that God would do the work in his heart to make him alive to faith in Christ. And Ruth Bell Graham wrote a book called Prodigals and Those Who Love Them. If, if this touches on your experience, go get that book. There's a poem within that book, and we've been in the trenches ourselves before. I memorized this poem the first day I read it because it registered with me at a particular time in our lives. The poem that I believe, if I remember correctly, was written by Ruth Bell Graham herself was this. They had good eyes upon them and shrank within undone. Good parents have good children, and they, a wandering one. They didn't mean to be so smug or to condemn, but having prodigals just wasn't done with them. Lord, remind them that you have problems with your children, too. And that stage of our lives with that issue that was going on, that poem reminded me that God saved me by his grace. By his grace. If someone like Oscar responds early in life, he may not remember that he was born, as Ephesians tells us, dead in trespasses and sins. And we can begin to think as we grow up, as yeah, I grew up in a Christian family, responded you know, somewhat early, I can think, well, of course, I, I had good parents and, and I, I followed Christ. No, I know my heart too well to know that I was about, about to break out into the inward rebellion that I was experiencing. And I could have been that grief to my parents. But God in the ninth grade brought me in contact with some other teenage Christians 
and somehow they broke through where my parents and their witness, other adults and their witness, all the things you're supposed to say at church that didn't get into my, my everyday life. I was blaming all my problems on being in the Christian context so you couldn't have fun. God used these people to break through to me so that I became committed to Christ as a ninth grader. But I was dead spiritually. It was God's miracle at work in me that saved me. I needed to remember that when I was a parent and pressing on my own children. So how do we handle this proverb? Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, you will not depart from it. What is the way he should go? We need to remember that that is more walking in grace, following Christ. That's the way he should go. Then it is a list of rules that he behaves right. If we forget the former and only go down the ladder, we can, we can raise a bunch of little Pharisees that follow the rules right and, and feel like they're, they're good enough themselves, they're better than other people, and they don't need Christ. That's not the way he should go. We need to remember And it actually prepares our children to deal with us as parents because if there are any perfect parents here, then let's talk about how the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We deceive ourselves. None of us are. We as followers of Christ need God's grace. And we need to teach our children about God's grace. And then when we mess up with them, when we fail them, when we are angry when we shouldn't be, when we are withholding our love when we shouldn't be, when we get it wrong about whether we're allowing them to do something that damages them or whether we leave them in the context that, that, that is hurtful, they know that we live by grace and they can extend that grace to us. Instead of, here's how you should live. And they look and say, well, you're not doing that. You teach me to love God and to love one another and all I get from you is anger. Because you're frustrated at me. There was a point in our lives when one of our children who was pretty far away said to Mary, you know, I know I've messed up, but it's been really hard to be around you because you're so unhappy. Mary went, The reason I'm unhappy is because of you. She thought that inside. And then she realized, you're right. As Christian parents, do we show our children, follow Christ, he's the way of life, and you can become like us. And and I came home and, and Mary just said, you know, Margaret said this. And we need to show the joy of Christ. That we have a, the, the joy of our salvation. And we have a fullness of life that's not dependent upon her, but can show her this is the kind of life she can have following Christ. Margaret, our daughter Margaret, if anybody's new and you think, how can he do that to his child from the pulpit? She's an open book. She would, if she saw you, you know, somewhere during the week, she would tell you herself. Um, and we praise God for what God has done uh, in her life since that time. But I share this with you just because we need, when we come to church, to band together as parents and not have that sense of we come to church and people look at 
what's going on with your child. If you had raised up your child in the way he should go, and he's departed from it, what did you do wrong? They had good eyes upon them and shrank within undone. How many of you have ever felt that way when you're struggling and you come to church? Instead of coming to church with the sense of here's where we worship God in the light of his grace, and it is the answer to all of our hurts and failures and sins, and we can be filled with his spirit and go out and love the way he calls us to love, even our children who are prodigal at this point. Little Bible study about the proverb itself. What is a proverb? It's not exactly a promise. Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs are wisdom literature, and they're insights into life. They're absolutely true, but they're absolutely true about one facet of life, one factor in life. Proverbs, there are often proverbs that kind of oppose each other. Just you know, conventional wisdom proverbs uh, demonstrate this. He who hesitates is lost. That's actually a good insight. There are certain cases where that's true. But there's another proverb that says, look before you leap. They sound contradictory, don't they? You say, well, that, those aren't the biblical proverbs. Well, in the biblical proverbs, we have Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him yourself. If you only had that one, you'd think, I should never try to answer a fool. I should never try to talk with him, never try to argue with him, never try to point out his folly. Do you know what the next proverb says? Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. A proverb is a proverb, and it's not that it's just generally true but sometimes false. It means it's an absolutely inherently true insight into one facet, one factor in life. But life is multifaceted. It's complicated. And we need to have wisdom to know which proverb to apply in which case. And so we pray for that. Well, does this proverb have some other proverbs that are, are like that, that kind of show the opposite side? This one said, raise up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he'll not depart from it. But Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. So there are cases where children grow up and they're rejecting the witness of their parents, the instruction of their parents. Uh, in fact, Proverbs 17 uh, says, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Does anybody here hear that proverb and say, ooh, that's exactly where I have been in my life because my grown-up children where I have lost control, I've lost influence, have rejected God, and it's a grief to, to my heart. But even here, this is a proverb that is an absolutely true insight into one factor in life, but there's still more to the story. We have to remember the parable of the prodigal son, lest we label that I've got a fool for a son, I've got a fool for a daughter, that's it, end of story. It's not the end of the story, it's just, it's a proverb, and it registers with you because you know it's true, 
But there's more to that story, that the prodigal son can come home to his heavenly father. It's never too late. If it wasn't too late for the thief on the cross, it's never too late while there's life and hope. So continue to pray for your children. We spent much of our time on this proverb, raise up a child in the way he should go when he is old and depart from it, setting it in context. But I want to come back to apply it in its positive. And that is you have an impact on your children. Do you show them the way of the Pharisee as a Christian parent, even when you know better? Or do you show them the grace of Christ that's been extended to you? Do you uh, realize that, that uh, the way you live out your life, it's, it's often said, it's, a, it's almost a cliche, that you, more is caught than taught. I, I look back and I realize that much of what I learned from my father in his ministry, I didn't realize, realize I was learning at the time. Things I learned from my father in ministry because I just saw the way he responded are a blessing to this church because just on this, I saw the way he approached retirement. He sought God's kingdom and his righteousness first. Instead of his self-interest, he didn't feel diminished, cast off, left out. His, his, his worth wasn't in his work. It was in Christ. And he said, I brought the church as far as I can, and I look forward to seeing what God builds on it through the next pastor. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just watching him. I wasn't thinking he was teaching me. Now it comes back to me as I'm a year out now from that for me. What are your kids, what have your kids caught from you? Now, not everything is is ideal even when you're responding right. Do they catch from you the sense of God's grace that he's extended to you? Do they? Do they, as prodigal children, if they're way off living out there, know what to return to? Would they have the expectation that the Heavenly Father would be looking for them and welcome them with open arms through the grace of Christ? Because they've seen that you have been welcomed through the grace of Christ. That's raising up a child in the way he should go. We'll spend less time on the next two passages but they do apply here. We need to take them into account. In fact, I would say you probably shouldn't preach topical sermons until you've preached for 30 years. Because if you only have a few cases to deal with, you can apply certain things in a certain way, and then you come across another circumstance, and you're thinking, what does the scripture have to say about this? And you begin to realize there are lots of different scenarios, lots of different cases. This passage from Ephesians 6, 4 simply says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I have never heard anyone say, why does the Bible leave out the the women on this verse? When we all know that fathers represent both parents, and we all know that mothers can exasperate their children too, right? And my brother one time, I guess he found it at Cracker Barrel. I think I've seen the pillow at Cracker Barrel. He gave my mother for Mother's Day the pillow that said, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. (laughs) And she put it out in the living room and she just left it there. I think we live in a culture right now that's blame mom. 
blame mom for, for everything that, that's wrong. You, you say, if, if, if something's happened, because your mom is so important in your life. And, and none of us are perfect. And there can be that grain of truth that, oh, blame mom. But we're missing the point. God used our moms to give us life. There's an honor for mothers and fathers just for that fact. And that honor has to be healed by forgiveness at times, doesn't it? That's why it's so important to teach our children the grace of Christ. So how can fathers and mothers exasperate their children? Oh, this has got to be a short sermon, and there's no way to cover this. There are a thousand ways to exasperate your children by being unfair, by having demands that are too high, by, you know, by pressing them into, to, you didn't accomplish this, you want to fulfill your life through them. There are all sorts of ways to exasperate your children. But let me just point out one, because it, it, it uh, compares very well with the first point about raising up a child in the way you should go. We raise our children to send them out and to wean them as adults in the world. If we realize at the start, we can say to our children, when they're going through a rebellious phase, we can say, you don't have to earn your freedom by rebelling. You will get your freedom. We're just trying to point you to Christ, to the way of life right now, so that you can learn to follow him at this point, and you won't have to learn the lessons the hard way later, but there will come a day where we send you out and you're on your own. That's our job as parents. If we begin with raise up a child in the way it should go when the child is, is born, you have absolute total control of that child's life. If you don't feed that child, it will die. And by the time they're 10 years old, they've learned certain responsibilities. You don't control everything. And by the time they're 20, you're sending them out into the world to be responsible for their own lives. That's the job of parents. Remember uh, summer conference, Karen Green, who was our pianist? She told us a story about their oldest uh, child that we knew when we were in seminary, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, when he was like you know, three years old, I can't remember how old he was, just a, a young child, got away from her when she was at the street corner, and he ran out into traffic. And he hit the side of a car, not the front of a car. And it spun him around, and she went running out. She was in the panic, and the car was screeching to a halt, and, and everything finally gets quiet. And Nathaniel said, that was awesome. I want to do that again. He thought I had like a, an amusement park ride. When the child is that old, you, and they're, they're doing things that are outside the bounds, you control all the tighter, don't you? It's like, I've got to watch this kid, hold his hand. He doesn't understand yet not to run out into traffic. When they're teenagers, you can get to that crash stage where you ought to be weaning them and letting them gain responsibility. But you wanted to raise them up in the way they should go, and they're not going in the way they should go. And so you keep, it's like this, this clash this, uh, of the principles of letting go and controlling versus if I let them go, they're not going to go in the way they should go. So you try to control all the more, and, and rightfully so. So you stretch it, you stretch it a bit. But you come to realize it's his responsibility, it's her responsibility. 
And one year in high school, he told Margaret, the principal is, you'll earn your freedom when you earn our trust. The next year, he said, you haven't earned our trust, but you're a year older and more responsibility is going to go to you because what we tried last year didn't work. You're a year older, this will be your responsibility. We still maintain these things that are rules of the house and, and, and controls. Sometimes you just feel like you're stretched over a barrel, don't you? You do. And when your children are grown up and you, you, you let them go, you still want to step in at times and, and lift up. You want to keep doors open for them. You want, that's right as parents, but just realize both those factors are going on. Don't exasperate your children by trying to control them until they're going in the way they should go. Because they will know it is not right for you to control me. It will feed their desire to break from you. And they may be running from the things you'd point to, follow Christ. No, I, I, I need to have my own life. Instead, say, I've done my best to call you to follow Christ. But this is your responsibility now. And I will love you. I will always love you. We'll, we'll come to that in, in, in closing. Let me just point out one last thing, and this is just a, kind of a single point. We've already made it because we had to establish the grace of God in our lives. Our children are, are dead in their trespasses and sins until, by God's Spirit, they are made alive in Christ. And what we want most to accomplish as parents, as Christian parents, that our children will respond and as Oscar did this morning, profess his faith in Christ. What we want most is not something we can accomplish. It is the work of God. And unless we realize that, we will cease being a witness to Christ before our children, training them, calling them at the appropriate ages and stages of controlling them. We will cease being a witness and we'll start being a manipulator, thinking, it's my job to make you follow Christ. And that's not a great formula for, for parenting. They're dead in the trespasses and sins, so that drives us to our knees to pray for them. Some of the greatest testimonies in history, uh, Augustine, Wesley's, their, their uh, mothers prayed for them for years and years before God touched their hearts and made them alive. And it was something beyond what the parents could accomplish. My father wrote uh, an article about uh, Christian parenting uh, for the Christian Observer uh, many decades ago, but the principles are all the same. He said, um, just to read just, just a little bit. He said, sometimes when children put their feet in the path Say he talks about two paths. There's the path of following Christ and the, the wide path that the world goes by. Sometimes when children put their feet in the path of following Christ, they will feel isolated and alone. Parents should let them know that there were times in the parents' lives when they too felt that same way. But it is a fact that one will always meet someone else in the path, and most often quite a number, though seldom a majority, and that those people will be delightful associates. A husband or wife can best be found there eventually. If they take the other path, the husband or wife will eventually be there, that will eventually be theirs, will probably be a disappointment. The two-path concept 
takes quite a lot of pressure off the parents. His task is to point out the path clearly uh, to lead the little child in it as long as he holds his or her hand, commend it highly as the one that leads to the greatest happiness and fulfillment, then let the child know that he or she makes the final choice. Parents who give the impression that they are going to force their children against their wills to walk in the right path pit themselves against their children, find a generation gap developing, rebellion welling up in a battle going, beginning. It is wise to let children know that while the parents can and will force them while they are small to stay out of the way of traffic so as not to get run over, they will not be there to do it when they are large. Parents will not be with them when they are driving a car to be sure they do not run over someone's baby. Parents will not be with them on dates to keep them from compromising their principles. Parents cannot make life beautiful for their children or keep them out of terrible pitfalls. Parents can offer them a heritage that has been a great source of happiness and fulfillment, will love them to the very brink of hell if they're determined to go there, and will give them every assistance on the pilgrimage to heaven if they would like that better. But parents cannot live their lives for them. Now that sounds terribly Armenian, doesn't it? It's just about the child's choice. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It sounds like it's all our responsibility. For it is God who is at work in you. It is also my Father who said, if anything of eternal value is to be accomplished, God must accomplish it. But it's not ours to accomplish. With respect to God's sovereignty and our will, we let our children know We pray for them that God would touch their hearts. But it's now your responsibility. That's to raise up a child in the way it should go. In closing, it's like fishing. If you understand fishing, you know how to set the drag. You set the drag. You know, the drag is how tight the line is. When you're fishing, what's the thrill? The thrill is when you get a bite, it goes, and the drag is just streaming out. Because if you set the drag too tight, and it's a great big fish, it'll break the line and break the connection. Always keep connection with your child. Always let your child know that you love them. It may mean you're letting them go like the father of the prodigal son, and they're going way, way out there. The bigger the fish, the bigger the fight. But always keep that connection. You let that, if you set the drag too loose, then it's just like it goes to the end of the line, pop, and that breaks too. Always keep the connection to try to turn the head of the fish towards the boat. To turn the child to God through Christ and back to home where they know they will find a loving welcome. You can't force them to change, but you can always keep that little tug on it. Different fish will give you different fights. The, the easy child, you can set the drag real tight and they just hop right in the boat. The hard one is fun when you're fishing. Not so much when you're parenting. But always love your child. Keep that connection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with a love that moved you to send your son to pay the penalty of our sin on the cross so that we can come home to you. We praise you for that. We celebrate that now in the Lord's Supper. And we pray that you would remind us of your grace to us. 
that we would forgive others, whether they're our parents, whether they're our children, that we would live lives by grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.